0: Amen. All right, Romans chapter number 12. Once again, Romans chapter number 12. I'll step down and uh, we will get back into our study of spiritual gifts. Lord willing, this week and then next week. Next week, I hope to be able to give a little bit of a spiritual gift questionnaire or quiz, so to speak, that kind of helps us uh, narrow down, uh, maybe uh, help us identify what our spiritual gifts are. But we'll go back to Romans 12 and continue to look at Uh, the different spiritual gifts this morning. Oops. All right. I need to pull this back out here. So we have been in our study here through the different passages on spiritual gifts, and we have looked at... I need to get this plugged in. I did not plug this in yet. We have looked at temporary gifts... We have looked at temporary gifts in in great detail, and I won't go back and review everything that we have talked about, uh, but uh, we identified when spiritual gifts are received at salvation and the four main passages that deal with these gifts, and then we spent uh, quite a bit of time looking at the temporary spiritual gifts, and especially uh, looking at the gift of tongues, and it is I know of a very controversial topic and much misunderstood. So we spent a good two or three weeks working our way through that particular, uh, that, those gifts. Tongue speaking as well as interpretation. But this is the list in Romans. And then in 1 Corinthians, there's actually two lists. This is the first one. And then the second one. And then 1 Peter 4 really just summarizes the two categories, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And then this chart here helps categorize them and uh, gives us a little bit more of an understanding of where these passages are found and what uh, gifts are listed there in those passages. So there is a lot, whoops, this thing is going to fall down in it. We'll see if it, if it lasts. might have to take some weight off of that. <laughs> Looks like it's going to keep sinking on me. I may be preaching on my knees, or teaching on my knees here before too long. All right, now we have identified several of the gifts already, and for summary's sake, for review's sake, we once again have to understand the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, are to be used within the context of the local church. It's so important that, God gift, that we understand that God gifted us for the exercise of these spiritual gifts within the context of the local church for the edification of others, for evangelism, and uh, ultimately for for service. So we spend some time looking at this particular uh, area of spiritual giftedness and uh, the fact that they are used in the church for God's glory ultimately, but for the edification of others to build each other up And for evangelization, we know that God is always active inside and outside the church. We must discern how He is active and ask Him to empower us to be part of those activities. God wants us to be willing. God wants us, someone has said, the greatest ability is dependability. But have you heard the other phrase, the other saying, the greatest ability is availability, a willingness. And sometimes that's where it is the, the hardest, is that willingness to step out and to say, Lord, I, I, I sense that you may be directing me or people have uh, asked me to serve in this area. I don't know if I can do it, but being willing to step out and then in that way, sometimes God shows us, God reveals to us. We find out, wow, I really enjoyed serving in that way. And God can use that. So our availability, our willingness to be used of the Lord, and He is active, and we need to ask Him to empower us to be a part of those activities that He gives us opportunity to serve in in the church. The Apostle Paul reminds us our calling does not depend on who we are, what we have, and what we can do. God uses for His glory what we submit to Him. And then God is not limited by our personalities and our abilities. He often calls us to serve Him out of our weaknesses. And I think that's one of the good things about spiritual giftedness is our understanding that without him, we are nothing. We cannot do these on our own. We try way too hard and we are way too confident and overconfident and self-confident. And we are not depending upon the Lord like we should. God wants us to be in a state of weakness and dependence so that he can be glorified and in our weakness. He is strong. We just uh, referenced that verse. So we serve out of humility, dependence, and trust. God's strength shines through our weaknesses. So the temporary gifts. We spent some time looking at the apostle, prophets, and then touched on this a little bit last week. The office of the evangelist mentioned there in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. We had an evangelist. Mike Schrock, back in the spring, he's a great example of one who is gifted in this way. So the gospel is a privilege and a responsibility of every believer. But some people have an exceptional ability in this, in this area. We all have the Great Commission. We all have the responsibility. We all, we all are ambassadors. But there are some men that God has gifted in a special way to provide leadership to all believers in carrying on their task of evangelism and inspiring other believers in their walk with God. And so we see the gift of the evangelist. That's not a temporary gift. We see that still active today. And then the pastor-teacher. So we went back uh, last week and we looked at the pastor-teacher, the man gifted and called by God to shepherd a local church. And... There are specific qualifications, 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, specific passages that refer to specific qualifications. And one of those qualifications is apt to teach, able to teach. One way in which uh, a man is identified, along with the other qualifications, is that he has the ability to hold forth the word. It doesn't mean that he has to be a highly eloquent Inspirational speaker. We, I think we put way too much emphasis on uh, what we would refer to as homiletics. And sometimes we are mesmerized by uh, and wowed by a man who has exceptional speaking ability. He's very inspiring, very motivational. He's very eloquent. But if he's not able to hold forth the word of God to practice good hermeneutics, to exposit, exegete the word. He's not fulfilling truly what he has been called to do. Some men are not called to pastor. They don't have the ability to teach. They couldn't hold forth the word and engage people in any way. I mentioned a young man. I was on his ordination council. He struggled with any kind of pulpiteering. I felt bad for him because his doctrinal content was good. He had a heart for God. There were some great things about him, but he, he, he could not deliver a sermon with any kind of... Again, I'm not trying to emphasize the eloquence and the homiletics, the speaking ability, but he struggled with even being able to deliver the Word of God with any kind of effectiveness in a public-type setting, in a, in a group-type setting. And uh, eventually he did leave uh, the, the, the vocational ministry. He's still being used of the Lord. He's faithful in his local church. He's active in their children's program. He's a good father and husband. But he, he had to, to leave vocational ministry. And uh, our pastor at the time led the family very gently and compassionately through... That time when he had to declare to the mission board, to his sending church, to his wife, to all the supporting churches, I am not called of God to vocational ministry. I am not called of God to preach. That was a tough time, but Pastor Erwood led that family through that very gently, very compassionately. And that man is useful for God in the work of the ministry, uh, just not in vocational uh, ministry in the sense of a, a pastor teacher or uh, a full-time missionary, uh, however we might describe that. I know some men who either were not called and they realized that or the church or men in the church realized that, but those men were hurt and they some of them dropped out of church and ministry altogether some some did not I've, I've known some good men who recognized or they were, it was recognized of them that they were not called and they have remained faithful for the Lord and the local church. But I've known some men who it was recognized by the church, by the leadership, that this person wasn't called and then they were mistreated. And they, they, they struggle to even attend church, to even serve the Lord. And that's, that's disappointing. I'm thankful for our Pastor Erwood who led this young man through uh, a time where he recognized, I'm not not called. This is not what God's called me to do. And uh, very gently helped the family and uh, helped the church and helped him through, through that. But anyway, the pastor teacher, I believe that there is a combined gift of teaching with the shepherd here. Now remember, elder is the man who occupies the office of the bishop who does the work of the pastor, shepherding. They're the same person. It's the same office, bishop, elder, and pastor, shepherd. They're the same person. Elder refers to his experience, his, um, you could say maybe authority, his qualification. And then bishop has to do with the office that he holds, and he does the work of shepherding. But a part of that is being able to preach the word, being able to teach the word. So we continue uh, in understanding this. I went a little ahead of myself there on the slide uh, before I clicked on the slide. But then we see the pastor teacher, the gift, the ability to clearly explain and interpret God's word. Beyond giving information, teaching allows people to deepen their relationship with God. So the gift of teaching. Okay, We talked a little bit about this last week. I'll go back. Whoops. I'll go back and review this just a little bit again. But the gift of teaching can be outside the pastorate. There are men and women who are gifted in teaching. I used my wife as an example last week. She's gifted in teaching. She doesn't like teaching teenagers and adults. <laughs> She's uh, more on the early childhood education, elementary But we've known people who are gifted in teaching. They're not in the pastoral role. They're not gifted and called in that. But they have the ability to thrive as an instructor. I know specifically in the context of the local church, this involves the instruction of God's word. But do we not have some gifted teachers right now instructing our young people? We, We have gifted teachers in our midst. They have opportunity, yes, in their vocation, teaching at a school, teaching at a college. Many of us have been blessed by having gifted teachers in our schools and different places of education. Whatever it might have been as a mentor or whatever. But there are men and women who have the gift of teaching who are teaching in Sunday school classes, helping in ladies ministries, deaf ministry, various ministries. They've been gifted by God in those areas, and they exercise that gift for the edification of others, for the explanation, the instruction of God's word, and obviously for God's glory and in the service of the Lord. Okay, so the pastor is also a teacher. He has the calling of God, and he has the giftedness of teaching. And there's various abilities of speaking on that level, on that in, within that. Ability, that gift of teaching. But there are teachers. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers, youth pastors. We could probably name people who were, in the case of a youth pastor, I guess that would be a pastor teacher. But I can think of people in my life who were gifted in teaching who helped me in my walk with the Lord. And gave me instruction from the word of God. But there's an ability in teaching that goes even to the areas of education. Um, Again, ladies' ministries, things like that. Questions or comments here? Okay? One of the ways sometimes that people identify this gift is they are simply gifted with the ability to speak. And so someone says, boy, you know, they can hold a conversation really well. Uh, Sometimes it's, oh, kids... Kids just seem attract. they have a tender hand with, hey, have you thought about helping out in the Sunday school? Or would you mind leading this? Sometimes it's they don't have anybody else and they substitute. And I've known people who step into a Sunday school, a children's ministry, a ladies ministry, or some other ministry in the church, and all of a sudden it's like people start coming. They were really good. The kids really listened to them well. They had an ability to explain. They have a heart for the kids. And all of a sudden now God's working. And then they get more opportunities and more opportunities. And I just love it when I see people develop their gifts like that. And they have opportunity to use them. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to, to watch. Obviously, it's a vital ministry of the body of Christ. And then exhortation. We spent some time on this last week. Exhortation. Let me get back here in my notes. And let's go to Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 8. And we're kind of catching up. I know some people, this is uh, the first time you've been here for our Sunday school hour, or it's been a while since you've uh, been able to be here, and uh, it's good to, good to have you here, or to have you back again. But Romans 12, verse 8, For he that exhorteth on exhortation. So this is kind of a broad area, specific gift of exhorting. It Overlaps with other gifts. I believe, Brian, you asked the question last Sunday about encouragement and exhortation. I would say encouragement is part of exhortation. I don't necessarily separate them as a separate gift. It seems to fall in line with exhortation. But exhortation seems to also, at times, be involved with the ministries or with the gifts of ministry, of helps, of giving, um, serving, so it, it does overlap. But it's an exceptional ability to encourage other people in their Christian life. In the book of Acts, who is the individual that we sometimes identify as the encourager, the exhorter? He worked with the Apostle Paul. Barnabas. Aren't we thankful for the Barnabases in our lives? The exhorters, the encouragers, who they just have that exceptional ability to come alongside Encourage others in their Christian life, in their Christian walk. Sometimes this is part of a a pastor's uh, giftedness and and calling. Sometimes it's not one of his strengths. But nevertheless, as a pastor, that is one of the things that uh, I have to do and try to do. But it's not a specific gift only for pastors or only for those in vocational ministry. Just a normal average church member could have this gift and finds it a joy to write cards, to find someone in the church who is a little down and be able to recognize that and to help them out, to pray with them. I've mentioned uh, a lady from our former ministry. She's with the Lord now. Her name was Mary Lee. When my dad was dying of cancer, weekly she had a card in the mail to my dad. And they lived literally probably five minutes from, but they, she mailed a card almost weekly. Sometimes it'd be just a funny card. It'd be some dog with some funny-looking face or, you know, some pig. (laughs) It would be a funny card, but it would also be a serious card. I think of an Eric Miller in my life who has has been an exhorter for me. I I would see him as a man who has the, the gift of exhortation. Just has been an encouragement. Letters to me in college, text messages, I mean, just on and on. You know people like that. Maybe you have... Seeing yourself as just really enjoying, loving, and you find an exceptional joy in sending cards, going out of your way for somebody, just an encouraging type of ministry. Continue to nurture that. Continue to use that. We need more and more of that. In a culture, in a world today full of loneliness and discouragement and bad news and despondency and despair, we need exhorters. And there's all kinds of negativity. We don't have to go very far to find somebody complaining about something. It doesn't take much. We can find fault in everybody and ourselves within a matter of minutes. We can probably make a list of certain people and all their negative traits. Now, yes, are there areas that need correction? Sure. But exhortation often goes a long way toward helping with correction. We need encouragement. Comfort, consolation, counsel. Have we not had to do some exhortation in uh, our church in recent days? And we'll continue to need this. We need comfort, consolation, counsel. All right. So we go on to word of wisdom and word of knowledge. I keep going too far here. There we go. So we come down to Romans 12 and... Uh, I'm sorry, now we go to 1 Corinthians 12, excuse me. We were in Romans 12, exhortation, 1 Corinthians 12 now. So 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 28, we see this specific gift. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, And then in verse number 8, backing up, to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Now this one is a little bit uh, hard sometimes to to understand, because what is the word of knowledge, what is the word of wisdom? Okay, let's quickly do a, a definition. The ability to help others in applying biblical knowledge and making choices... For their own spiritual best interest. An unusual capacity to understand, retain, and organize truth. Now think about this for a minute here. Some have tried to take this word of knowledge and word of wisdom and have moved it into its kind of a, I don't know, power of positive thinking category. A word faith movement. They, they rip this out of context, and they act like we can create our destiny, and we create our own circumstances by our word of knowledge and wisdom, okay? Illustration of this in the news just in the last couple of weeks. There was a bicyclist on Raceway Road down where, near where we used to live in Indianapolis, and the, the bicyclist... Got hit by a, motorcy- a, a motorcyclist, was flying down Raceway Road, and the the bicyclist was crossing the road, and they hit. And the, the kid, sadly, ended up um, se- severely injured. Thankfully, the, the child was still alive, last, last I heard, but very severely injured in the hospital. And they were talking to the dad, and the dad would say things like, I claimed... The name of Jesus over my son, and he lived. I claim the name of Jesus. And, and he, he was saying, and I understand, I don't want to be overly critical. You're praying for your child. If that happened to my child, I'd be obviously praying, weeping, crying. But I noticed throughout the interview with this individual, he was speaking the words that he wanted to happen knowing that if he stayed positive, if he stayed speaking his positive truths, then he would create what he wanted to happen by his own words. Does that make sense? Do we pray? Do we ask God to heal? Do we ask God to deliver? Do we ask? Sure we do. But ultimately, what are we doing in doing that, in our prayers? We're depending, we're trusting we're asking God. We're not creating the power. The power is not in my words, in my incantations, and in my ability to say the right words and cast a spell. We, we can see that in all the cartoons and, I mean, on and on we could go, right? There's all kinds of illustrations out there of these people who cast spells. and they. Isn't that, when this, in this word faith movement, isn't that? Walking that line of spiritism, where I cast spells, I give incantations. When I was in Africa, a loved one would die. Missionaries were telling me this. A loved one would die, and they could be an absolute jerk their whole life. Run off from their kids, on and on. Just terrible person. But they, in their customs, could not speak one negative word about that person after they died. Because they were afraid if they said one negative word about that person, their spirit would come back and haunt their relatives and those who spoke negatively about them. And they lived in fear of that. So even though the person was a royal jerk all their life, lived a horrible life, You could not say one bad thing about them because their ghost might come and haunt them. And they lived in that fear. And so there would be things that would happen around the house and in the street, network or whatever, and they would literally live in fear that their loved one, who they had spoken maybe something negative about, was haunting them. Okay, I said a lot there (laughs) to warn us about the wrong understanding of this gift. What is the true exercise of this gift? It is an exceptional ability, a gift from God in applying biblical knowledge and making choices. Helping others, excuse me, in applying biblical knowledge and helping them make choices for their own spiritual best interest. A capacity, an unusual or exceptional capacity to understand, retain, and organize truth. Often we see this within the gift of a man who is a pastor teacher or an evangelist but not always. I've met men, you've known people through the years in church who they have exceptional ability in this area. They just retain Bible knowledge. They have a way of helping others with that. And they are not in a vocational ministry, but they are many times Sunday school teachers. Sometimes they're not. But if you need some clarification or you need some counsel, need some understanding, you, you, you probably think of these types of people. You're going to call them up and you're going to say to this person, I know that you walk with the Lord, you love God, and you know the word. Can you help me with this particular issue? And they may not even be a pastor. They may not even be in the ministry, but they have this gift. Questions or comments here? I you know it's a lot I kinda of threw out there, Earl. Venerate, yes. Right. It is. yeah it is right i like to think of this gift in the terms of a person who you know they know the word they know the word of god they have an understanding they have a biblical worldview they are someone that you talk to and they know the word they understand the word of god they're they're applying it and they encourage you with it and have you thought of this and what about this and again they may not be in vocational ministry but there's people like that that we know and we're thankful for them they have this gift okay continuing in this wisdom is discernment it's understanding God's doings in the world and it's a critical ministry that allows All ministries and gifts, the church will work in harmony and unity. So what's another area that this, these two areas, words of wisdom and knowledge, what's another area there? You see it in the first sentence. Discernment. Discernment. There's something about this giftedness that these people with this gift, they have discernment. Now there's also the discerning of the spirits, which... We'll talk about that in more detail later. They, they often go hand in hand, of course. But there's something about them that says they can take spiritual truth and they can apply it. And they have a discernment. They have a recognition of error. They have an understanding of what is right. And they are able to help us and help the church with that. Um, many times, it comes in areas of leadership. Deacons. Deacons. Obviously, pastor, but there's other men and women sometimes in the church that have a discernment. Do our wives not sometimes have some discernment that we don't recognize? Men sometimes they sense things. I have been very careful when Kelly says that lady gives me the heebie-jeebies, or that guy, eh, something about him. I my ears peek up, my antenna goes up. Um, nine times out of ten, she's spot on. Okay. Uh, we, we We are thankful for discernment, and we need it in some I mean, we're, are we not bombarded with data and information i mean it 's twenty four seven can we carry around a data stream <laughs> information we We lack discernment, and we have more information to discern than we ever had probably at any time in the world with twenty four seven news cycles and smartphones. And constant bombardment with media. And yet it seems like discernment is greatly lacking. And we don't use a good spiritual filter. We really need uh, men and women gifted in this area. And of course in leadership as well within the church. This is so important. All right, And then we'll go through these uh, fairly quickly here. And we are in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at verse 28. And we see down... At the latter half of that verse, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. So we're looking at helps and governments. And then we go back to Romans chapter number 12. And we see this gift mentioned here. Verse 7, ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. And then we go down to verse 8, and we see giving. Let him do it with simplicity. And then we see mercy also in verse number 8. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? So the gift of ministering has to do with overseeing and administrating ministries of the church. There was a church we, we visited and I, I've known people in, in in other ministries but there was a church that we visited uh, one time and they did a big dinner. It was a a dinner for hunters, uh, fishermen. It was a, a big game kind of dinner or a game type dinner where they fixed all kinds of different uh, meats. And this pastor that we were talking to, he said, oh, there's a lady who I just tell her I'd like to, we'd have, the, like to have this dinner on this date. And she organizes it, and he hardly has to do a thing. She just has that ability, and she uses it in the church for that particular ministry. Aren't we thankful for people with administrative and organizational abilities in the church? I'm extremely thankful for them. I have some administrative ability, but it's not one of my strengths. Administrative uh, things are not one of my strengths. And I learned that as a Christian school principal, that if I could get some good administrative assistance, it was very helpful for me because I cannot stand pushing paperwork and putting numbers into... There are some people, they love that kind of stuff. They love forms and data and stats and putting this in here and then calling 1,500 people and they've got groups going here and there. You know, that that's not my strength. Uh, I'm thankful for people with administrative abilities in the church now a pastor has to have some administrative skills or the church will be a wreck but i'm thankful for uh good deacons thankful for uh, carolyn who helps out with the financial finances and um holds us to a line i want every receipt (laughs) i'm thankful for that that's great i love it she she keeps those receipts and she knows where every every dollar is going and coming and And I'm picking on Karen a little bit. I know she doesn't like me embarrassing her. But I'm thankful for people with administrative abilities, ministering in that way, giving. Isn't it incredible sometimes God's gifted people with finances and they don't show it off. They don't walk around with their Mr. T starter kit and all their bling and all their drip. And they make sure everybody knows when they're giving out their 50s and their 100s, everybody's watching. I'm, I'm so thankful for people who they just, you would never know how well off they are. But when there's a missionary, there's a special need in the church, there's an evangelist who comes through, um, something pops up and during the week and there's a special need, and quietly they write a check. Quietly they're doing this, they're doing that. And the need's met. God's given them ability to make money. God's blessed them and they're givers. And they are realizing that this life is temporary. And there's no U-Haul behind them on the way to their funeral. They're not taking anything with them. They're not like the pharaohs who thought there was an afterlife with a bunch of servants and gold and silver and precious stones that were going to Go with them. They would literally bury sometimes their own servants with them, thinking they would need them in the afterlife. Can you imagine being the servant of a pharaoh and he dies? And you're like, oh, man, there goes my dreams and my, (laughs) off you go. I don't know. Do they execute him? Do they bury him alive? I don't know. I don't know if I want to find out. But, you know, there are so many people in our culture today, in our world today, that are just covetous and greedy Can I pick on an NBA player for a minute? Some of you know who James Harden is. He, he's on his third team and he's already complaining about his contract and he's already a malcontent and he's already demanding a trade. He's a superstar with millions of dollars and this is like his third team in five years and he's already unhappy. I want to trade. I mean, come on. You have these people with so much money and they're so selfish with it. And I can't remember who it was, the millionaire of the past, who said, just one dollar more, just one dollar more. I'm so thankful for people who give. They see everything that they have as a gift from God, and it's to be used of the Lord. And they know they can't take it with them, so they might as well use it for furthering the kingdom. And uh, thankful for people like that. The gift of mercy. Gift of mercy, a deep compassion for those in need and a willingness to help them that far exceeds the average acts of kindness. It's good for the person with the gift of mercy to also be with the person who has the gift of knowledge and wisdom. Because sometimes the gift of mercy has a weakness, so they'll they'll give away everything and they'll get taken advantage of. But I'm thankful for people with the gift of mercy and have a deep compassion and a willingness to help others and uh, not just... Striking down with the guillotine or guillotine or however you pronounce that word. Every single time they mess up. I'm so thankful for people who are willing to work with people who fall and need to be picked back up. There are some. It's just there's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for error. There's no room for someone to make a mistake and and then to be worked with. I used to, in in administration, it's true in, in, in pastoring, Um, I I talk about a rope, okay, and I give people a rope sometimes, and that rope goes, and that rope goes, and that rope can either be a lifeline to pull them in, or eventually that rope becomes a noose, and they hang themselves, and I've sat with many, a student, many people through the years, and I've tried to explain to them, okay. Okay. There's a little bit of mercy here we're trying to give you. Here's a rope, and you've got the opportunity to pull yourself in. That lifeline's out there. It's got that lifesaver on it. You can pull it in, or you can turn that rope around, make it a noose on your neck, and you'll do nothing but strangulate yourself. And mercy, we're thankful for a merciful God, aren't we? Isn't he the supreme example of mercy? If it weren't for the Lord's mercy, what does Lamentations 3 say? If it, weren't the Lord's, if it weren't of the Lord's mercy, what would happen to us? We'd be consumed. And what do we all deserve? Hell, for eternity. And it's of His mercy that He, he saved us. Us uh, not, not getting what we deserve. And we have to have, all of us, a measure of mercy. But there are some people who are just exceptionally gifted with this. And a lot of times it's coupled with the gift of wisdom or knowledge and they they discern, they see an individual and they say there's something redeemable here, there's something that we can salvage, let's give them a little bit more time, let's work with them a little bit more and there has to be with that knowledge and wisdom and mercy, there has to be that time where, okay they've gone too far and we have to deal with it and sometimes the only way a person learns is through an immediate boom (laughs) but more often than not People need a little bit of mercy extended to them to realize, oh, you know, this person loves me, cares about me, and is not just wanting to make me an example and embarrass me. They really want to help me. And with that little bit of mercy, many times we can bring them, with the Lord's help, to the Lord, and they can experience his forgiveness, and they can see uh, God uh, work in their life. Paul, for as much as we know he had a passion and a zeal Think about what he did with John Mark, who left at the first missionary journey. And later on, he said, he is profitable to me for ministry. Paul understood as much zeal and as much passion as he had for the Lord and as much discernment as he had and as much as he could call out evil. He saw in John Mark a re- redeemable quality and he was profitable. But then who was it? Was it Diotrephes? Later, um, correct me, Earl, if I'm wrong, was the Diotrephes? Yeah. And he was like, boom. <laughs> um, in, second, in First Corinthians, the, the, the individual being disciplined. Send them out of the church. Give them over to the devil. There's mercy and there's knowledge discernment. And it's a hard balance sometimes. And then helping. An exceptional ability to come to the aid of others. Supply a particular need at the right time and place. Often it's coupled with giving and mercy. special ability to play a supporting role in a ministry without complaint. I'm so thankful for people like this. They just plug in. They just serve. Where can you use me? Where can I help? Need me to flip pancakes, scramble eggs. Need me to trim flowers, cut the lawn. Need me to take out the trash. Need me to, whatever. They just plug in. They just get involved. They just, and every time you turn around, they're picking up a chair, putting a table away, they're cleaning, they're, they're doing something. And they don't need everybody to cheer them on, <laughs> give them an award, bring them up on, and thankful for times like that. We need to encourage people and thank them and praise them. We need to do that. We shouldn't be seeking that for ourselves, uh, especially the way our world does. Always trying to get attention for everything. But people who are just welcome, or they're they're, they're Willing, I, I should say, just to serve in the background. And if they get praise, great. If not, they know their treasure is in heaven. And I'm uh, thankful for people like this. All right, we're basically out of time. Any questions or comments? We will finish this up and then, Lord willing, do a little uh, quiz questionnaire next week. Brian? One of the things that really encouraged me is when Paul and had that disagreement and they Yes. 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 Yeah, they had a sharp disagreement. And Paul and Barnabas, they, we don't know exactly what all was said and done, but they had an obvious (laughs) parting of the ways. God used both missionary groups. But yeah, Barnabas had an instrumental role in John Mark's life. And then there was that time where Paul said he's profitable to me. So we see the exercise of those gifts. Very good illustration. Thank you. Anything else? All right. Well, um, we'll close in prayer and then we'll get ready for the service. Thank you so much for being here this morning for the Sunday School Hour. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for helping us to uh, know and to understand our gifts. Lord, maybe we're sitting here and the Holy Spirit's working in our heart and we see an area where we should be plugged in and serving or maybe... We should be enhancing uh, our gift in the ministry and service. Uh, maybe, Lord, we are just sitting here humbled and thankful for opportunities you've given us to exercise our gifts and are praying for more opportunities. We pray, the Lord, you will continue to minister to our church family, continue to minister to the Rumbas. pray that you will strengthen and help them and continue to be with them. Thank you for our time together already in your word this morning. pray you bless the service now to follow. May you be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll start the service in about 15 minutes.